Hello everyone, this is Art Gelwix, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Being Productive. Since we're all about being efficient and effective at work and at home, let's get started. So the first article I'm going to take a look at today is Remote Work, What We've Lost and What We've Gained by Craig McQueen from Rework.co. I agree with Craig in a couple of points in this article, but I also disagree with him in a couple of points. So let's start with the ones that I agree with him on. He starts to talk about the things that we have gained. And one of those things is that asynchronous methods of communication allow people to participate on their own timelines. And I agree with that significantly. I believe people are getting better at moving away from the shoulder tap or let's have a meeting right now and starting to get better at using the offline, the, as he mentions, asynchronous communication to be able to reach out and have a discussion over an extended period of time and still get to a useful result. The second thing he mentions is that everyone has equal has the opportunity for equal participation. I believe that the phrasing of that is critical to understanding its value. Everyone has the opportunity for equal participation. Now, while, where I don't agree with that is I don't believe everyone is taking advantage of that opportunity. And I think many organizations are failing to recognize the value of encouraging their people to take advantage of that opportunity. We still fall into the same circles, the same organizational verticals and silos. We still fall into the same communications, almost panics at times. And we have to take that into consideration when we start to fix these problems in this new environment. The third one that he mentions here is that the cross-department interaction can be much broader than the local physical office. That I extremely agree with. I think this is a huge opportunity to tear down some of those physical walls, whether it's metaphorical or literal, and be able to go in and interact with teams and individuals that you may not have normally interacted with. You typically interact with the people who you can see or you have regular in-person meetings with or have those interactions with. But to broaden those circles means that you're broadening your area of expertise for insight. You're broaden, broadening the knowledge that's available to you to have those discussions. And it's something that finally people who may normally be disenfranchised within an organization, if I want to use that term, and wind up out of the mix can get back into it by leveraging these areas. Where I don't agree with him is on some of the things that we've lost. One of the first things that he feels that we've lost by moving to virtual work is casual conversation. I don't agree with that at all. I think you can have just as many casual conversations over virtual work as you can in person. Matter of fact, they can be less interrupting and you can be more productive and still have those conversations. If somebody leans over to you from the cube next to you and wants to chat up about the football game from the weekend, you're going to lose that time as you have that discussion. And if you shut them down all the time, it eventually comes across as rude. But if somebody reaches out to you over a virtual technology, they post you a message, they reach out to you through Yammer or something like that, and they say, hey, how was the football game? If you're in the middle of something, you can wait a couple of minutes before you can respond. 
and you can still have the benefit of that social interaction. So I, th I don't think that's something that's lost. I think what we've lost is the negative aspects of it if we're willing to give ourselves that opportunity. The second piece he has talks about physical interaction also provides spontaneous discussion and collaboration. Well, that's the same thing I was just talking about. That's the shoulder tap. Now, there is some value to having that sit-down discussion, but honestly, you can still have that sit-down discussion. I've done working sessions with team members where we've literally had a virtual meeting up and running in the corner while we're both working on separate things. And if we have questions, we can bounce them back and forth against each other, just as if we were sitting next to each other. So the technology allows that capability. I don't believe that's lost. And it does address the, the big thing that a lot of people have a problem with, which is that interrupt-driven culture that we have in so many organizations. And then this is where I find the article a little bit frustrating because then he says the third thing that we've lost, casual conversation, spontaneous discussion, and cross-departmental interaction are hindered when losing the physical setting of work, even though later on in the article he's mentioned that cross-department interaction has improved because of the virtual. So which one is it? Again, I don't think they have been lost. I think they have been changed. And if you are willing to recognize that change and adapt to that change and work within that change, it can work to your benefit significantly. But if you're going to sit and be frustrated with, oh, it's not what it was, then no, you won't reap the benefits of those kinds of things. So it's an interesting enough article. I think it, it forces us to think a little bit about this new environment that we're in. But don't take it at face value to say we've lost so many things. We have picked up as many new opportunities to operate in this environment as we have lost the old way of doing things. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably trying to find ways to be more productive. If so, there's a place for you called the Idea Pump. Now, there's hundreds of articles about productivity, tools, techniques, and strategies to improve your productivity, and they're all available for you on either the web or your mobile device. Stop over at theideapump.com and find some ideas on how you can do the right things at the right times in the right ways. Remember, it's theideapump.com. Next article for today is one by Deandra Filicetti, if I mispronounce that I apologize, over at PickTheBrain.com and she's talking about why I didn't want to do the dishes, the relationship between laziness, inefficiency, and complacency. The title caught me when I first saw this in my feed reader and I'm like, oh, this sounds like an interesting enough one because honestly I'm not a fan of doing the dishes. But once you dig into the article, and I do recommend you read this one, it's a quick read, but it definitely has some interesting information or thoughts in it. It really focuses on less around laziness and more around complacency, the willingness to not improve your processes or your situation just because you don't see a reason to, not that it couldn't benefit from it. So one of the things she talks about is how to identify a complacent work environment and looking for things as she lists in her four items here of inefficiencies, lack of initiative, 
passive aggression and insults and no self-investment or investment in the business. Again, I do recommend you read this, but I think this catalyzes some interesting thinking around how we operate within our organizations. So often we will look at our existing business processes and we'll say, well, this one works fine. Uh, It's not broken. It does what it's supposed to do. Um, I'm sure it could probably be better, but that means I have to spend work doing that, that I could actually spend doing the process. So I'm not going to improve anything. I'm just going to leave it the way it is and let things just keep getting done. And it's that kind of complacency that I think she's calling people out on. Taking the time to evaluate your business processes on a continuing basis, always looking for opportunities for improvement, always looking for the chance to make things run either more effectively, more efficiently, or just downright better, are always a good investment of your time. And it's worth, if nothing else, the validation to say, nope, I've got this about as good as it's going to get without a major investment of time and effort. The other opportunity, though, is maybe it does require a major investment of of time and effort. I've looked at business processes over the past several months that just through simple conversations, they can go from the most complex implementations and over-engineered solutions down to a simple series of steps just by asking the right questions and just by thinking about the processes from outside them rather than from inside them. We've all seen this where we literally ask someone, well, how do you do this? And they really can't tell us, but they do it and they do it every day. I've asked groups, what's your business process? Where do you have it written down? Where do you have it documented so I can look at it? And the, and I've literally had the answer come back. We don't, we just kind of do it. Or what I see is the worst case situation. They have a tool that was built at a period of time in the past to reflect the business process And now that tool has become the business process where however it worked before, that's the way the business now works. Whether that's right, wrong, or otherwise doesn't really seem to matter. So when we think about these types of things of a complacent work environment, and again, I I do highly recommend you take a few minutes to read this article over at pickthebrain.com. I think you'll find that it gives you an opportunity to think about your own business processes and say, well, wait a minute. Is there something I can do to tune this? Is there something I can do to improve this so that I don't have to spend as much time working on these things and doing these types of work? And maybe just for once, I can go ahead and get the dishes done and not have to worry about them at the end of the day. Last article for today is from Lifehack, A Productivity Junkie's Guide to Overcoming Lack of Time. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of your common listicles of things, common knowledge and common wisdom. But there are a couple of things I did want to call out in this. Uh, it's talking about why you feel like you have a lack of time. And one, one of the first things they identify is a lack of sleep or oversleeping. I actually am inclined to agree with the oversleeping thing. The lack of sleep part for me personally, that's just, I wind up feeling lethargic during the course of the next day. I get that part, but the oversleeping is actually a little bit more insidious. I have found consistently that the days that feel like they're kind of behind the eight ball to use the term 
are the ones that I don't get up and execute my morning schedule like I normally should. And allowing myself to fall behind that early in the day, I never feel like I catch up. So that oversleeping part. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to wake up at four in the morning and get their day started. I'm saying whatever sort of morning routine you've created, and there is a huge amount of value to having a morning routine, but whatever routine you've created, it's important that you execute that routine. If you don't, you're already going to feel like you're on your back heels. The second thing they mentioned is about multitasking. And we all know that multitasking is one of those really insidious time sucks because where you think you're getting multiple things done, you're actually not. You're just doing everything less effectively. So I get that one. Figuring out a way to time slice is an excellent way to handle that. Uh, Francis Wade, one of uh, my associates, talks about time blocking quite a deal, quite a great deal. And that approach, if you have the flexibility and control over your schedule where you can establish time blocks so that you can start something and then end it and move on to the next thing can be a huge benefit to getting over this multitasking hurdle. The other thing I would say is don't set yourself up to multitask. Uh, I personally have an environment where I have multiple computers I have to interact with because of multiple contact systems for employers and clients and podcasting and all that stuff. And with all of it around in front of me, it makes it difficult to not jump from device to device to device. My focus gets lost. So it's important to be able to say, okay, I'm going to close everything and just concentrate on this one particular activity for a period of time. Focus is a critical part. No matter how much we say that we can do several things at once, we're never really doing them to our best capacity if we try. The third thing this thing talks about, this article talks about rather, is working nonstop. And yes, I get it. This is actually more of an issue now because people are working remotely than they were in the office. And it's not because the work has changed that much. We've lost that logical and physical break between going to work and coming home from work. And even then, there's a tr you have that time period. If your commute's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, there is a break that has to happen because you're in physical transit. If you never actually leave the building that your office is in, you never have that physical transit. You never have that break. So I can, again, I can see that working nonstop can be a problem with the perception of not having enough time because we all know that empty time, work expands to fill empty time. If you don't have something going on, something will find its way into that time that you need to do it. So if you've just increased that scope of time, well, sure enough, you've now got more work coming in. So set up those boundaries. And the fourth one is distractions. And I get the distractions piece. Uh, there's no question that distractions are terrible in the workplace and at the home office and at home. It's highly, highly likely that trying to focus, you are going to get interrupted. The key thing with this, and they don't, again, they don't really talk about that, this in this type of an article, is 
the mental steps that you have to do to say, okay, at some point I am going to get interrupted. It's not an if, it's a when. So what do I need to do when the interruption happens to allow me to get back to what I was doing as quickly as possible? If it's a matter of grabbing an index card and quickly jotting down exactly what you were doing, great. I've actually gotten into the habit of I will take a screenshot right, right where I was of my screen and then go deal with the interruption. And then when I come back, if I can't get into that groove of where I was, I'll pull up that screenshot and look at it for a second and say, okay, that's exactly what I was doing. Let me start working from there and pick up. It doesn't work all the time, but it does help me quite a bit in regaining that mental position as I start to get back into my work. So while not the best of articles, like I said, it is a bit of a list listicle article. It does give us an opportunity to think about some of these struggles that we have when we feel like we're lacking time. Often it's not that it, there's a lack of time. It's just that we're rationing and managing that time in not the most of effective ways. Thanks for listening today. If you found this interesting and useful and you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe to Being Productive on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you'd become a supporter of the show by using the link in the show notes. Also, please like and share this and other episodes so we can help as many people as possible in being productive. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.